So let's talk about God comes near. Um, it's incredible news that God comes near, isn't it? In fact, yesterday I had the, the privilege and the pleasure of going to play paintball with some, uh, some college-age students that not all of them are believers, and one of them is a philosophy major, and was wonderful. Uh, we had the best conversation on the car ride down and on the car ride back about the nature of religion and God. And I will tell you the, the incredible joy that we have to know that God, one, exists. That we don't have to guess about this, but we know that he exists. And, and one of the reasons we know he exists is because we exist. That helps. But also, he came in the flesh. That's powerful. I mean, there's joy in this. That we have a God that is not distant. We have a God that doesn't just stay out there somewhere deep in the cosmos and say, do whatever, I don't care. We have a God that is present. And that gives us joy. But see, God wasn't just, didn't just come in Christ and then leave. See, God has a history from the very beginning of being a very close God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In, in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, if you have your Bibles, you can open up right there. It's Genesis chapter 2, which talks about where we came from. We see that from our very conception, God was there, present in our life, very near. How near? In Genesis 2, 7, it said, The Lord God, from the dust of the ground, that's how he made the man. God stoops down to the mud, picks up dirt, forms us. This is not a distant God that just speaks us into existence or says you're some cosmic accident or, or maybe, you know, if things work out right, you can come in and you can evolve to, to be the right kind of person. This is a God who comes down and gets his hands dirty, who makes us, forms us, every cell, every hair. But he goes beyond that. He doesn't just make us separate from himself saying, I will form you out of the dust of this earth. You are a part of this creation. That is all. We were incomplete. He didn't just form us and speak us into existence. He breathed his own breath of life into our nostrils. How intimate is that? Do you know, never again in Scripture do we ever read that God had to breathe the breath of life in any other person's nostrils. We have the life of God in us. Isn't that powerful? He shared something amazing with us. One, He didn't just form us out of the ground. He didn't just breathe His breath into our nostrils, but He also formed us in His image. And then He didn't just set us aside. Now, God, God didn't say, okay, I'm just going to make you now go and then leave. What we find is, what Genesis 2.21, is, is that, there was this man, and he was lonely. And, and he was going to make a, a companion for Adam. How did he do that? Genesis 2.20 says, so The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which I'm sure Adam was happy about, because that would be really kind of creepy to have God just like go into your chest and, There you go, there's a rip. Falls asleep, because otherwise post-traumatic, you know. Um, and while he was sleeping, took one of the man's ribs, and then closed the place up with fresh, and, and then formed the woman out of it. It's an amazing thing. 
both in, in how God made male and female, He gets His hands dirty. He's there and He's present. God is a God who wants to be near. And He proves that by after He made Adam and Eve, look what He does. He meets all of their needs. In Genesis 2, we read about this. It's starts in verse 15 and just kind of goes on. But the first thing He gives Adam and Eve is meaningful work. Isn't that great? Can you imagine how miserable life would be if it was like this endless retirement with no purpose? Right? The happiest retired people I know are those who have purpose, that are doing something. And Adam and Eve had meaningful work. That's what they did. In fact, it says, Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. Now, the thing is, it's before the curse. It's before work became frustrating. So Adam and Eve would plant something and boom, it would grow. How cool was that? They would pull out a weed and another one wouldn't grow back. Can you imagine? But they had something to do. Can you imagine being in a place where you could just create the most beautiful garden and tend for all of the animals and they had something that spoke to their spirit. They knew this is what they were made for. There was contentment. God loves us enough to give us purpose. That's how near He comes to us. He meets the needs of our very spirits. That's phenomenal. But he didn't stop there. In verse 16, he talks about this. He gave him provision. Because guess what? We are physical beings and we need to eat. And God takes care of that. He says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. How cool is that? Any restaurant, go. Don't even have to pay. Open. You see, God gave us variety. It's not like my dog who gets kibbies every night. God said, you have variety you have things that taste wonderful, go out and enjoy. See, Adam and Eve didn't have to stress or worry about where am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, because they weren't close. You know, where am I going to sleep? The whole garden was theirs. God met provision for them. He is not an absentee father, even in the slightest. God comes near to us. Even by design. But then it goes on. He didn't just provide those which are kind of our basic needs. You need to work. You need to have provision. Get this. He provides in the very next passage our righteousness. It says you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But it says you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Even before the fall, we've had a need for righteousness. Why? We're in the image of God. God is a, is a righteous God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Remember that from First John? God is righteous. And God has designed us to have this need for righteousness. We care deeply about ethics and morals, don't we? They're part of our very core. And God provided for Adam and Eve, not just, hey, a guess and go out there and try to do things and mess up. No, He told them very clearly, this is how to be righteous. And so they would know what they were doing. It was a very simple command, too. Don't eat from that one tree. Right? But sometimes it's a simple command that we find difficult. But he provides for righteousness. Think how, did God owe Adam and Eve that? No. But he's a good father. And so he provides it. But he goes on. He doesn't just provide righteousness. He provides even a deeper need, companionship. In verse 18 it says, God, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You see, God provides relationship. You think about the 360 provision of God. Everything we needed, He provided. Grudgingly? No. He did it gladly. 
that he made us to be fulfilled and to have love, to have that joy. And he was present in all those things. Don't ever believe the lie that you are some cosmic accident, that you are somehow stardust that magically came together. God loves you. God, by design, has provided for us time and time again, even from the beginning. God was meant to come near. That's what he desires. He's a very near God. But you know what? We're not always very near to God. (laughs) Adam and Eve, they sinned. They betrayed God. We'll find something amazing about our Lord God as he came near even after that. Genesis 3, the ugly chapter in the Bible, the one we all wish wasn't in there, but that's because because of Genesis 3, there's the rest of the Bible, right? <laughs> when I was in law school, there was this thing about criminal law. You had to have the actus reus and the mens rea, right? The mens rea was like the evil intent. The actus reus is the, is the evil, the wicked act. Both of those come together, then you're a criminal, right? So, like, if I stepped on your toe but I didn't mean to, you can't say, oh, you assaulted me. I'd be like, no, I accidentally stepped on your toe. Or if I was sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to step on their toe and I have a, an evil mind, but I don't do it, you can't you know, lock me in jail. But if I'm like, oh, I'm going to step on their toe and bam, you're like, oh, assault, right? And then I can get in jail. Both got to come together. We find this happened with Adam and Eve. They start with a wicked intent. An evil intent. Here's this God. Provides everything for them. A God who is very near to them. And then we read in Genesis 3, starting with chapter uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, uh, the certain serpent, who is the devil. He's talking right here. And he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, that's the tree they're not supposed to eat from, by the way. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, this was mutiny. Right? This was a coup against the Creator. This is saying, God's holding out on you. You can be just like God. You'll be a God like Him. And you can free yourself from all of His moral rules about what trees you can eat from and not. All you've got to do is eat from that tree and then you can choose what you think is right. See, that sounded good. And in their mind, they said, you know what? Here's a good God who loves me, who's done everything for me, but I want to be God. That's evil intent. And then what do they do? Well, the very next passage, we have the evil act. Now we have a crime. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. There you go. There's the crime. And then the other part, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. We as humanity fell short. We decided we wanted to be God. Guess what? Do we do a good job at being God? Not so much. In fact, ever since then, because we've done these two things, we've had this massive betrayal, we can see the death and destruction and despair in this world. We can't handle power, can we? I mean, every time people get power, we end up lording it over other people and destroying them. Or we get upset because they have power and we have power. We want to have more power than them, so we're going to fight them. Or we don't like what they like, so we're going to have what we want. And we're going to make sure that they don't have what they want. We can't handle it. We can't handle morals. We can't even agree on simple things. Uh, There are people all over the world that are killing one another over what's right. They are committing murder over what's right. We do that all through history. We rob and steal and lie and cheat and do horrible things to one another because 
of our own righteousness, we think. We can't handle morality. We make horrible gods. We don't create life. We create destruction and despair. Just turn on the news. But we still betray God because somehow we thought that we could be better gods than him. And so there was an evil act. Because there was an evil act and we have a righteous God, there was a confrontation. There needed to be. And we read about it. It it didn't take long. Uh, It's uh, verse 8 and 9. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden where the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And I know that God knew exactly where he was. I mean, it's kind of like when I play hide-and-go-seek with my son. That's probably going to change here pretty soon. But normally I can tell where he's at because his feet stick out from under the curtains. Right? I know exactly where he is. But God needed to know that these guys were going to step up. They chose to stand toe-to-toe with the Lord God Almighty, and he was calling them out. Where are you at? And they recognized and said, hey, we're naked. He's like, who told you that that was a bad thing? And he said, ah, you've eaten from that tree, haven't you? Because they didn't fess up. And what did they do? They pointed fingers of blame all the way down to Satan. (laughs) But of course, they were all guilty, including Satan. And then there was repercussions. There was a curse. God promised them. He told them, if you do this, there will be death. But they didn't die that very day, but their spirits certainly did. Right? Death entered the world. Death entered creation. Death entered our thinking. It was a bad thing. Now, at this point, you could say God would be very right in walking away from a creation that betrayed him deeply. He formed him us out of the ground. He breathes his own breath of life. He gives us dignity, makes us in his own image. He provides everything that we need from Work to food to provision to companionship, everything, complete enjoyment, and yet we betray him. God could just walk away. He warned us. But does he? Here's the amazing thing. That wasn't the end. In the midst of failure, in the midst of us being distancing ourselves from God, actually hiding ourselves from him, God calls us out and says, come near. There are consequences, but there is also hope. See, God, as he gives the curses, as he he talks about these are the consequences that are just going to have to take place, he offers an amazing promise. He said, you know what? Someday, a child of these people is going to crush Satan. It's going to deliver you. You know, based upon that, up until this point, you would think Adam and Eve... Total despair. You would think they they would be totally despair because they got caught with a hand in the cookie jar. They were going to be, they stood guilty before God Almighty. And God has all powerful. That's Almighty. That's what it means. You would think, we are dead. He said, if you eat from this, you are dead. Get what Adam Adam says about Eve after the confrontation. It's in in verse um, uh, 20, 21. It says, Adam named his wife Eve. Because she become the mother of all the living. Don't let the power of, of that miss you. Adam, who is now condemned, who ate the fruit, names his wife Eve the mother of the living. Are they trusting in themselves to be the living now? No, they've eaten the poison fruit. 
It's because of the promise of God. They recognized when they ran from God and they betrayed God and they hid from God, God came close to them and gave them a promise and they clung to that. Adam was so bold that he names his wife, you are the mother of all that will live, not that will die. Do you think there was some joy in that name? There was some hope in that name. You see, what they were looking forward to was something that we now celebrate every season. There was a way to be made right with God again. There was a way to wipe away the blemish of our sin. There was a way for us to know that God actually is near to us and that we can have this separation removed. What Adam and Eve celebrated in, 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 in hope, we have an assurance. Adam doesn't just say that you'll be the mother of the living. This is what God does after that. Remember Adam and Eve now knew that being naked wasn't a great idea? It says, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God continues to be close. God doesn't say, I'm okay, I'm going to save you someday and distance himself. You read Genesis, you read Exodus, you read all the Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you read the, the prophets, you read the Psalms, uh, you read through the Old Testament and you will find time and time again God coming closer and closer and closer to his people until finally the promise is made into fruition. And God comes in the flesh and destroys the devil and reunites us with himself so we can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. He's coming again. And just as much as we have the assurance that he came the first time, we have the assurance he's coming again. And so as we celebrate Christmas now, we celebrate a God who is near, who's proven that he's near. We are not distant. Have we failed God, all of us? Yes. But is there hope for every one of us? Yeah. And that's why there's joy at this season. That we can be saved by God's grace through faith, just as Adam and Eve. And our faith is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was born, who came to earth, took on flesh so we could understand Him, who died in our place and gave us new life. Isn't that incredible? Here in these next couple of weeks, I encourage you to come back because we're going to be talking about in how do we see God continue to come near? What does God teach us about when He comes near and He draws near? In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our, our rebellion against Him, He comes back time and time again with greater promises, greater presence, which lead us to the joy of Christ is when He's come. And that's what we'll be talking about those next couple of weeks. And so I encourage you to come on back. Now, as I bring this message to a close, invite the worship team to come on back to the stage. I would like... You guys, take out your, uh, your memory verse. Oh, your memory verse. Your green connection card. You can take out your memory verse too because, you know, you should probably memorize that. But here's the back of your connection card. What do we do with this, with just joy that we have, this promise, this, this realization, this assurance that we have a very close God? Well, the first thing that I could suggest you do is why don't you memorize Genesis 2.7. We live in a world right now that seems very stuck on telling you that you're a mistake. I want to tell you that you are not a mistake. None of you are. God has a purpose for you. He formed our, our first parents with his hands, but he also knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a reason that you exist and a purpose for you. It says every single one of us has a mission and, a, and has a ministry in his kingdom. 
He knew you before you were even created. Memorize this passage and understand that God has never been distant. There are times where God feels distant, but it's not his fault. He's very close. Meditate on these passages and realize the very closeness of our God who created you and who loves you and provides for your every need. Maybe what you can do is read Genesis 1 through 5. Why? Well, it talks about how did God form us at the beginning? Because it talks about also his nature and his character and how he wants to relate to us. And what did we do? And how did he get us back? So I encourage you, read Genesis 1 through 5. It's a pretty powerful passages. Or maybe this week, maybe you can do is invite God into your current need, your struggle, your shortcoming. Maybe you're at a time or a place where you're struggling through something very hard and God seems very, very far off. You know, maybe this week as you say, hey, God, I'm going to invite you into this with me because I know that you are close. I know that you are near. And until I feel that you are, I'm going to trust you, but I want you to come into this. Help me. Give me the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, the whatever I need, the righteousness I need to overcome this. Maybe that's what you're going to commit to this week. Invite God to be close because he wants to be close to you. And maybe the other thing is to attend these next three and a half weeks, quite half weeks, because... Christmas Eve is when we complete this series and I invite you to come to that because all of these messages will come together in a wonderful culmination um, on that night Christmas Eve so maybe say you know what I'm going to be here maybe you need to know the presence of God and that joy of God and the peace of God in your life I invite you to come these next few weeks hear the truth of his word from, and, and, the, and the truth of his presence in your life maybe that's what you do or maybe there's something else that I haven't even thought of that you're going to commit to you hear what this has done. Maybe it's uh, supporting our missionaries and knowing that they're bringing God to places in the world that, uh, that have been very distant to God for a very long time. Maybe that's what you commit to. Or our, our missionaries, something else. I don't know. Or maybe there's something else, another commitment. Please let us know. Or a prayer request. I love to pray for it because the Holy Spirit, who dwells with all of us, uh, He's active in your life. And He wants us to bring all of our burdens there. So if there's a prayer request that we can bring to God, write it down right now. And here in a minute, um, we're going to do is we're going to take our offering. And I want you to take this and your commitments, along with your tithes and your offerings, I want you to put them in the basket as a way of saying, God, this is relationship. Right? It would make no sense to do this unless God, you're inviting God into your life. So invite God into your life with your commitments, with your tithes and your offerings. And, and let's celebrate the presence of God. Let's do that. All right. Let's please join me as we pray for our offerings and our commitments now. Heavenly Father, this is uh, certainly uh, my favorite time of the year. And uh, just because it's a reminder, Lord, that you are present, that you came to earth and took on flesh to be with us and didn't abandon us even though we deserved it. But God, you loved us more than we love you and so that we could enjoy your presence. And Father God, I, I pray. Lord, that, uh, that we allow you to come near to us as a church. Let us not go into that crazy thinking that we can somehow be good enough apart from you. <laughs> that we could somehow do incredible work that's apart from you. But God, we need you. We want your presence. And Father, for those of us in our family that may be lonely, that may be hurting, that may be struggling, I pray your presence, your Holy Spirit would be very evident to them. God, as we look to you to provide for our righteousness and our provision and our companionship, God, help us to walk that wonderful line between grace and obedience as, as we grow closer to you. 
Father, I pray for these tithes and these offerings as well, that you would use them to build our faith as much as you used to build your kingdom in the Estes Valley in this world. Father, we pray for our faith promise as well, and that you would provide everything that we need. Help us to be obedient, God, and to trust you. And Lord, bless these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.